0: Welcome back, everyone. Film School 101.
1: Class is, Class is in
0: session.
1: I think I feel like we gotta do it where either I say it or you say it. Whenever we try to do it in sync, it works, we're always, like, slightly off. <laughs> so we'll, uh... It's been, what, 16 episodes, and we're still working on getting that right.
0: You know, but I think that that is going to be our, our character arc throughout the whole podcast. You know, the day that we finally can can get that right,
1: that's, we'll know. That's when we know we've made it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I uh, like that. Yeah? But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, for those of you who are joining us, you know, we're, we're coming off of the one-year special. We did 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's right,
0: we did. Uh, had a lot of our, uh, uh, you know, a couple friends over, did a really cool, like,
1: group session. Um, had a ton of fun. It was a good time. Uh, but now, you know, we put a lot of thought into what we want our next kind of uh, double feature to be. Yeah. And so we've landed on
0: we've landed on a comparison of the Western film, specifically the cowboy and the samurai film, specifically the samurai or like the wandering samurai, the Ronin and the two films we chose to kind of investigate this, the similarities and the differences between these two archetypes, if you will. Uh, Is Seven Samurai, Mm -hmm. which we'll be talking about today, and then The Searchers, which will be the next podcast episode.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be a really interesting pairing. Um, A lot of similarities in, like, you know, like we said, the the figure of the samurai and the figure of the cowboy, but then also just how, like, those two genres are, I guess, like how Western movies sort of influenced some japanese filmmakers right and then how Mm -hmm. those japanese films in turn actually kind of re-inspired some american filmmakers Um, so i feel like there's a lot of shared influence between those two genres and countries
0: oh yeah and specifically to these like films directors themselves like akira kurosawa has explicitly stated he was inspired by john ford westerns and then vice versa there's magnificent seven which was a western recreation of seven samurai so yeah i told no there's a ton of like writing back and forth between the two genres and between the two different kind of filmmakers in them
1: yeah and then i think uh you were reading through an essay right on the searchers where there are even like specific shots that were like throwbacks to shots and mm-hmm. seven samurai um so i think it'll be really interesting to talk about you know why these two genres kind of kind of mix with each other oh yeah on the film level on the genre
0: level yeah it's I, i'm i'm excited yeah and it'll be a good chance to you know the searchers is one of your favorite films yes i do uh, really enjoy that movie yeah it's on your top 10 film list uh, and Seven Samurai is not on my top ten film list, but
1: other Samurai films are. So I, I'm a big fan of the Samurai. And other, uh, other Kurosawa films are, too. It's you know, true, I think yeah, this yeah. Is, Hidden Fortress, yeah. This is the one that I, I think, like, you know, is the one that whenever you pick one, kind of gets attached to him, gets lauded as, like... Oh, you, yeah. Or when you see, like, lists, that's probably his, that's usually ranks the highest, but his whole filmography, I mean, you find like 10 movies in there probably that are just like masterpieces, right? So you have Hidden Fortress on yours, I have High and Low on mine, which is not a samurai movie, Um, you know, it's like a contemporary detective film. Um, But yeah, he, you know, Akira Kurosawa is, you know, like a a titan of influence kind of in the film industry. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know, we've gone this long in the podcast without talking about him, which is almost a shame, but uh, yeah
0: oh and it's in, in kurosawa is kind of like the you know the yeah a, a titan in the film industry and also kind of the darling of the japanese film industry specifically too right like he he i think he came up as like an assistant producer or something like he was he's been working in the film industry yeah. for years and years before he became a director and so he grew up effectively in steeped in all of that uh like literature or in that kind of context and then goes on to become yeah a titan of the, of the films in general
1: yeah, and I think specifically one um, is interesting. Looking back on his career, he got some his start doing some like propaganda films during the war. Yeah, um, but he is he and his movie Rashomon are kind of credited with putting Japanese film on the map right. internationally. Um So he had this movie Rashomon that came out in 1950, which we also watched. Great movie, but it won the the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, right. which was the first uh, big international win. By a Japanese film, and so after that happened, there was a lot more interest in Japanese film, yeah. and you had other other directors who were producing great work, but started getting more exposure to, right? Like yeah, um, Ozu and Mitsuguchi, yeah, big three. Um
0: Yeah, I, I think I mean Kurosawa especially as 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 an example of that, and then yeah, I I mean it's it's funny because I never really I watched Magnificent Seven when I was younger, but I've never seen Seven Samurai until we watched it for the podcast, and just like thinking of. It goes to show how much impact a director can have on a film. Because yeah. effectively, the same story, it's the same beats, if you will. But yeah. yet, the directorial choices, the uh, the way that they take the two different films. I mean, if it's at seven, it, I like the film out of nostalgia, but it's kind of a bore fest.
1: Yeah, even though it copies the plot, it, it really it plot, doesn't yeah. get it doesn't get the energy or like even just the the, the filmmaking. It really yeah. it, it really is like an inferior remake. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Seven Samurai. I mean. Yeah. And then, like one last note on Kurosawa, I think why he also like kind of looms so large in like the film world is the way that he influenced American filmmakers. He yeah. specifically has a fan, a huge fan, in George Lucas, right? Uh, right? As you know, as you might remember from our Star Wars podcast, right. Star Wars is basically a, a sci-fi remake of the Hidden Fortress, a right. Kurosawa movie. Um, but even in Star Wars, he borrows a lot of uh, techniques from um kurosawa the the soft wipes when you yeah, see seen, them seeing transitions is a big one um and then even like uh, later on in his career when uh, kurosawa was struggling they actually helped finance one of his movies in 1980 this movie kagamusha um oh. so he stepped yeah toho was running out of money and the movie was going over production so george lucas and francis ford coppola yeah um Stepped in and helped, you know, pay to finish that movie. Um, So, I think, you know, like, his influence on these uh, directors who have gone on to be big American directors is also why he's stuck around so much.
0: Yeah. I didn't know that there was that relationship between them with the financing.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, Seven Samurai, you know, like... I think that's a great starting point for anyone looking to get into his filmography. Yeah, um, even though it's his longest movie, I don't know. It, it was like three and a half hours, but it went by pretty fast. It did, yeah. And and we we had talked about it
0: even before starting about like, wow, is this is gonna be is it gonna be a, quite the film? Yeah. It's gonna be, a, but yeah, I agree. The, the the pacing on point, and it it's funny because half the film is basically spent just trying to get the group of samurai that's together. The titular seven samurai don't even become a group until about the second act, and you're like, "Oh, okay, now we can," you know. And yet, it doesn't feel like it took forever. I
1: agree. Yeah, yeah, and you know that whole assemble the crew phase um, yeah. is has been like repeated in movies since. Oh, yeah. Um, just a short list of ones that I thought of, but like *A Bug's Life*, uh, *Armageddon*, *Ocean's Eleven, yep, yep. even the more uh, recent *Justice League* movie from 2017. Uh, uh, Zack Snyder specifically said like Bruce Wayne has to go on a Seven Samurai esque track of like rounding up the group. Um, so that whole like first act of like the you know the little montage of like finding each person. Yeah. Um, um yeah, like even like Ocean's 11, I kind of think of that, right? Where they go to all these different cities and you you find these people and they have, you know, they're all doing some interesting sort of occupation when you first meet them. Yeah. Um and it builds like the personality of them that way.
0: It does. And it's really funny. I I remember you mentioning a Bug's Life as yeah, we yeah. were watching the film too. No, yeah. I mean it's 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 crazy to think that that specific um, like trope, if you will, can get applied to all these different genres, all these different kind of films, and work equally well in all of yeah, them. yeah, the superhero film, the heist film, of an animated
1: children's film, yeah, yeah, something about like you know people love assembling the crew, I guess, yeah, because it and
0: and it lends itself to a natural progression. Maybe that's why the first half of this film of Seven Samurai doesn't feel like it goes on too long or drags out yeah. is because there's a natural progression to well, we know the number is seven. Cause Cause the we know
1: we're gonna get to seven yeah which actually you know when they assemble the crew right we get to six and then they take off and then it's we true. we meet i don't know the most uh the most memorable of the samurai right kikuchio, yeah, kikuchio. played by the the legendary yeah. toshiro mifune who kurosawa and him pair up all the time oh yeah right? it's like a classic uh director actor pairing it's up there with scorsese and leo yep or scorsese and de niro in the earlier part of his career <laughs> um no, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, in
0: I, I think that especially looking at the, the different actors, I mean, I don't know any uh, big names outside of Toshiro Mifune, but it feels like each of them envelops that character so well. And maybe that's the other part of the heist, or the Gathering the Crew film too, is it allows the actor to really go, I know what my character's doing, like I'm this occupation or I'm this kind of uh, vertical, if you will, or, or, or style, and so they can just lean into that fully. The, the wizened mentor of kambe right yeah
1: um, for this movie Kurosawa wrote like backstories for every single character including the villagers oh wow so people you know he wrote like family histories for like the villagers and then also for the samurai so everyone really like had a sense of like how even if you didn't have a speaking part in the movie you yeah. still knew like you know your role within this village um, huh. and like you mentioned like with the characters he he would frequently tell actors to pick a specific like gesture or motion. And then, like, to associate with their character, so, right? Like, yeah. Um, what was the one, the memorable one that? Uh, Kame, it's a, uh, he's ro- uh, rubs the back of his head. Yeah. whatever Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kambe, the sort of the the wise central samurai, um, yeah. played by Takashi Shimura, who I seen a lot, who you actually see in a, a few other Kurosawa movies. But yeah, he's always like, whenever he's thinking, he's always like rubbing the back of the head, his head, which is a, a motion that George Lucas copies in. The star wars prequels for yoda yeah um I'm so that, sure that character right. was an influence for yoda
0: i could see a lot of similarities even in like the the how the characters are uh, the yeah the wise and central leader that also sort of like kind of ridicules the younger a little bit right oh you know you think you're so smart yeah, yeah, yeah. and dashing you know just wait kind of thing
1: yeah but you know so you got the wise mentor you got kind of like the road the rogue who's kikuchio yeah you've got um
0: the master
1: martial artist, or yeah. master
0: of the martial arts, rather.
1: Yeah. No, I forget his name, but we, you, you know who we're talking about, right? The guy, when we come upon him, he's in a duel, yeah. right? With, and he wins with sticks, and the guy's like, no, you didn't win. He's like, all right, let's do it with swords. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the, the the winner is indisputable. Right. Um,
0: you also have the uh, the one who's going to be the most important in a, when times are dark, who always cracks yes. the jokes. Uh, Garobe. Yep. Think, or, no, is his the, second in command. Yeah, you have the um, second command. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the one who will be... And then
1: you have the ha- old comrade. Yeah, Haihachi is the one who we met when he was cutting wood. Yes. Um, and he's the one who unfortunately gets killed when they go to the, the
0: Bandit bandit's, bandit's yeah.
1: hideout. Um, yeah, I don't know. This movie, like... I don't think there's necessarily huge amount of thematic depth. Like, we're coming off of 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Right. <laughs> um, and I don't think I would try to read into this movie on, like, that kind of level. No. Like, I don't think... Of course, I was trying to. He's trying to make little points here and there, you know. But I think it's ultimately just like I don't know. It sounds cliche. It's always cliche, cliche, well, cliche to say, it, but like the humanity of the the, the characters in the story. Yeah. um
0: Well, yeah. speaking of the story, yeah, yeah. Uh, Do you want to give a brief recap of oh,
1: what happened? I'll
0: that's throw right it on you.
1: <laughs> wow. This. Yeah. See, uh, see how just <laughs> get put on the spot. But you're right. Feels- yeah, yeah. Um, yeah let's see how i go and i I love how we always like forget to do the recap until we're maybe like at the 10 minute mark into the podcast like (laughs) oh shoot like people might not have seen this um but yeah uh, this movie starts off really great like we're thrown right into the the central plot point right we're the it's this band of marauding this marauding band of bandits yeah um they show up on a village they say oh let's come back in like a few months when like the crop is ready so we can steal their harvest and a woodcutter or a just a villager overhears it, and they're like, what are we going to do to defend ourselves? Right. Um, and so these, these poor villagers go to the city. They basically try to recruit all these samurai. They don't have a success at first, but they meet Kanbei, who he's sort of like the linchpin, who once yeah. they have him, he really helps get the rest of the group, um, the six. And then there's also, you know, Kikuchio, who we learn isn't actually a samurai, but he still um, proves useful. Yeah. And then the movie really is a lot of, like, we just get the tactics of how... Yeah. The samurai plan to defend the village. Um, of course, there, there's some interactions with the villagers. Specifically, you know, we get to know one of them who lost his wife to the bandits. Right. Um, the youngest of the samurai gets romantically involved with one of the village women, yep. which kind of stirs up some a little bit of controversy. Yeah. Um, because there's a fear of like the samurai coming in and like taking all the women too. Um, the villagers are like a little bit have had bad interactions with the samurai in the past. Yeah. Um, not these specific samurai, but just sa- samurai in, in general. general. Yeah. Um, but then there's just, like, this great final battle that stretches out over a couple days um, where the samurai, like, uh, it's, it's really well done, right? You have, like, the count of all the bandits. Yes. And, like, you so slowly see Kanbei, like, crossing off the list after each skirmish. You know how many are remaining to be killed. Um, and, yeah, along the way, we, you know, four of the samurai lose oh, their God. lives. Um, and we have that great line, you know, the, the we are ultimately victorious. The, yes. the bandits are defeated, but... Uh, Kumbei states that the, the victory is for the villagers, not for yeah, us. in That yeah. final shot with the graves of the four samurai who died. So what do we what do we make of that ending?
0: I mean, of the ending, I was get a real quick tangent. Oh yeah. I going back to the whole pacing thing. I wanted yeah. to call it. I also love how the movie in the second part doesn't feel slow because of that pacing of you're always counting down another bandit yeah, killed. Yeah. And you're always cutting back to that shot of okay, how many do we have left?
1: That's true. You're, in the first half, you're counting up to the seven, and at the end, you're counting down from the like thirty or so bandits. Yeah,
0: Kurzawa yeah. always gives the audience a direct visual indicator of this is how we, this is how things are going. You've got, and then even with like the amount of people dying, right? The graves on the hill increases. Yeah. Here's another count, right? You're always noted. So then, making sense of the ending. Uh, I mean, I'd read like. I read a couple different essays in the Criterion book um, and they all they all mentioned that ending yeah. quote because I think it's, it's the uh, similar to Kambi. It's the linchpin that ties the movie in uh, together. It seems like it could be taken in the direction of the metaphorical. The victory is for the villagers because they will not have a place. They have protected their home. The samurai have no home still. They've only been well, a tool utilized in yeah. this mo- immediate moment. There's also kind of the historical reference of like Ultimately, the samurai will become irrelevant in the future. They lose out as a class yeah. while the villagers will become the merchants and the farmers that, you know, build the back of the Japanese empire as it goes into the modern era. Um, there's also kind of just, like, the personal level where, like, the samurai lost four of their group. Where I mean, the villagers also had losses, but the villagers will be able to—they're married, they'll have kids, they'll continue to have a life. The samurai are alone. Every member lost in the Samurai's group is forever gone. There is no legacy that they will leave. No children, no wife, nothing.
1: Yeah, they'll just be kind of remembered by those graves on the hill. Yeah, the Four Swords. That's their contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But what do you? Think? Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, well, I want to ask you one more thing. So you mentioned like yeah. uh, the samurai on the way out. So you you know a lot more about Japanese history and samurai history. So this movie takes place in the fifteen hundred early 1500s? Yeah.
0: So going back to counts, we're actually given a direct year
1: um, because yeah, we're kind of indirectly given
0: a direct it, year. Yeah, indirectly given a direct year because uh, Kikuchio has oh, a yeah. family dynasty, and he like uh, that he stole that yeah, we find out it's he not stole. His. And he, like, points to the last member in the dynasty and says, that's me. And Kanbei jokingly says, well, if that's you, you would have to be 15 years 13, old. Or 13. 13. 13. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the year that the person was born is 1574. So it's 1587. Counting it back, yeah. Counting from there, which puts us in the middle of the Sengoku Jidai, also known as the uh, uh, period of warring states. Uh, and this was a period of intense civil warfare in Japan. The um, Ashikaga Shogunate, which had been maintaining a centralized power had basically lost all of that so local warlords were fighting to consolidate and then take on the shogunate and become leader of japan um the end of this era comes in like the early 1600s when Tokugawa takes over and then starts the Tokugawa period of japan um but yeah so this comes in a period of internal strife you know the, the reason the villagers are so scarred by the samurai is because there was no like local police force right like the state was kind of out of the question at this point yeah um so yeah it's a period of unrest it's a period of transition and it's a period of change just in general um that that comes at this point in history
1: nice um yeah so your question to me what i make of the ending i think you covered it pretty well actually i don't have too much to add yeah um on that ending yeah it's like it's it's like a little bit of a downer you know um we get attached to the heroism of these samurai. Yeah. And then at the end, we're kind of left with, like, what what, what did they win out of this? Or, but I do think that ending um, really is our sort of parallel to the Western and to the, the, yeah. the, the lone hero of the cowboy, right, yeah. who, who comes into a village and kind of same thing. They solve whatever problem that village is facing right. and, then like, you know in a movie like Shane, or in a movie like The Searchers, they have to, again, like, ride off into the sunset. Yeah. Or, and they, not, they don't necessarily ride off into the sunset, but they, they never, like, make their home there, right. right? They sort of, you know, let the victory be to whoever the locals were, and then they have to keep moving. And, you know, interesting
0: with that, too, is that there's that one moment, going back to the youngest samurai getting romantically involved with one of the village women, um, there's also, like, there's this kind of introduction, or... or the whole idea that the, the samurai and the farmers can never mix is yeah. introduced. Similar to like the cowboy, right? The cowboy can never settle. That's yeah. like, you wouldn't be a cowboy if you were settled. You would just be a rancher. Yeah. And so similar, the samurai and the farmers, the samurai can never settle down. They would no longer be a samurai then, or even, at least a
1: ronin. Even though, you know, I feel like in a lot of Westerns, they, they throw in like a, a potential romantic interest. Yeah, they're all, yeah. But it's like, no, no, babe, I gotta, gotta keep going.
0: Right, because you, you have to introduce, you know, like, you, you want to introduce the personal tension, right? The cowboy, it stands in for, and the samurai, the ronin, stands in for heroism and a sort of pioneering spirit, but is always incomplete because they'll never have a place to call their own. Yeah, they're always wandering. Always wandering, and it's like, yeah. you know, that's, I think that's what makes both the cowboy and the samurai archetype so kind of uh, interesting to think about, is like, oh, what if I could just be nothing more than this heroic adventurer that enters the village, solves the problem, and then leaves to fight another day?
1: Never never stopped in my quest to just keep going. Do we think do you think we see this, uh and this is like a huge tangent, but do do you think we see this a little bit in some like like, has this made it into, like, the superhero genre a little bit? I, oh, hands may, down. Maybe this is because we just recently watched The Batman. New Batman. Right? Man. That's, like, a very Bruce Wayne thing, too, it right? Is, Especially yeah. the choice he has at the end. Well, spoilers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the, new, the new Batman, right? But, but the but, choice at the end, yeah. Yeah, but I guess, like, the story, you know, that keeps getting retold. He also, like, you know, has a lot of interest of, like, Rachel, but he never gets... Ends up with her, like, in right. the first one, right? Or in, Yeah, in, in the most recent, The Batman um, Catwoman, right? right. It seems like she's sort of is like, hey, do you want to, like... Come with me to this place. He's like, no, I gotta stay and defend Gotham. Um, yeah. he's not te- technically like on the move. You know, it's 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 always in Gotham, right? But, but it's always like, I don't know, it's always his duty to the city and defending people, and he's always like this, you know, lone soldier. Well, yeah, because that's
0: and I do think it shows up there because it's compelling, right? right? It's compelling as an audience to see a character torn in some fashion, incomplete in some way of like. On the one hand, they have this personal desire to, yeah, to, to run away with a love interest or to to pursue some quote-unquote selfish thing. But then they're they're torn against this sense of duty that they yeah, owe yeah. to some force greater than this. Yeah, it's compelling, right? Like, you if, if if you watched a movie where the samurai gets the girl, solves the problem, everything's happy, like it's like okay. But there's a, there's a sense that it wouldn't be as interesting to watch, in my opinion. As a film where you're left incomplete at the
1: end, so we'll save that for my future essay to come out of this. Why Bruce Wayne <laughs> fits into the the genealogy of samurai and the cowboy western. Bruce the Wayne end. the Ronin. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think in a sense.
0: Well, and 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 I think that that even on. This might be a stretch, so if this tangent breaks down, apologies to the listeners. But just fast forward, you know, a couple minutes. Yeah, if, if if you if you start to lose track on this, just kind of jump forward a little bit until I'm done talking. But I feel like on a kind of mythological movement, sure. that whole idea of duty versus kind of settling down is is present in a lot of different myths, right? The wandering adventurer who always has to yeah, bend to some higher will versus the the almost portrayed as kind of like lesser in a way person that settles and, and mm. stays stable um i'm trying to think to back that up now i'm trying to think of examples and i've
1: got like none so but yeah. this seems like a kind of myth right maybe maybe not like i think actually the searchers will I can't wait to watch this movie now but i think yeah. the searchers will help, help your point a little bit i maybe mean, wouldn't use the word lesser but it's just like they're not the hero of the yeah story. they're not the hero you know? yeah they're the not... hero has to wander yeah yeah
0: hercules has to go through trials and and go through multiple different uh romantic interest odysseus is always wandering although in that case he's wandering to try and get home
1: yeah uh, yeah well uh,
0: not everything could be tied into the odyssey
1: but i see what you're saying yeah um, <laughs> um yeah bringing us back to the plot of the movie uh, i have some fun facts I i'm guess. down please um, i love fun facts i guess the movie took uh, 148 days to shoot roughly over the over spread over the course of an entire year um, and frequently went over budget. So yeah. I think it was almost like the Japanese Apocalypse Now, if you remember our conversation uh, about Apocalypse yeah. Now. Um, not quite as bad because that went multiple years, but I think like the relationship between the producers and like uh, the production and, and Kurosawa on set it yeah. had that kind of vibe of, like, this thing's costing us so much, so much money and going over budget and going over time. Uh, one of the interesting consequences of that, so the, the final battle... Which to me is like the the highlight of the movie. I'm always captivated by that last part, with like in the rain. Yeah. Um, That was supposed to be shot in summer on the original schedule, but it got pushed back. They had to film it in February when it was like freezing. So next time you watch that, like with all that rain pouring down and like, you know, everyone's like falling in the mud. Imagine it being also like below freezing. Yeah. Um, People getting hypothermia and stuff
0: and this is this is back probably before like labor unions for actors were and actresses were a thing so
1: yeah i don't know what the, what it looked like in japan probably Yeah, if they had the the workers guild or screen actors Scre- screen actors guild yeah
0: screen actors guild, <laughs> yeah, screen actors guild. Oh, workers in a sense so yeah you can imagine oof um, well, and was it wasn't, what was the budget for the film too?
1: Oh yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, because that that's in. a fun fact. That is a fun fact. Uh, so at the time, this was the most expensive film ever made in Japan. Yeah, uh, which is impressive. But I feel like the Japanese film industry was also like in a very young, young stage. It was smaller, yeah. Um, but at That time is roughly 1.1 million USD, which uh, adjusted for inflation today is about 10 million dollars, um, which I think is very impressive. Um, to film all that yeah yeah and we talked you know i think movie budgets like in as a whole were probably smaller back right. then um but like still i don't know they they made this on 10 million 10 million dollars like i don't know a, a lot of a lot of movies we've picked here i think like i'm always impressed by what you can actually do like on a smaller budget right like I remember safe it was like it what? was $1 1 million yeah um and even what's another one we did even lane i think was also about a million dollars yeah um so, yeah, uh, I'm impressed by that small figure, especially with, like, the, the insane amount of, like, action sequences. Um, oh, yeah. I guess you don't have too many. You were talking about, there's not actually, like, a ton of different locations?
0: There's not a ton of different locations, yeah. There's, there's like, the, the village center, the watermill, the entrance to the village, and the grove. Yeah. Um, you have kind of some other outdoor scenes, but in theory, those outdoor scenes could just be the grove from different angles. And, you know, like, it's not a castle. And then you have, like, the city, Right, mm-hmm. but even then, the city was probably just a set that they built a little bit yeah. around or found, like, a you know place to shoot for a few days. Yeah,
1: and even, like, that first half within the city, they spent a lot of time in that, in that, one, one, building. that one building. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Um, so location-wise, yeah. And then even, I mean, it just goes to show that practical effects and a little bit of ingenuity, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm sure that there were uh, the, all of, like, the arrow
1: shot and stuff like that, probably reused, right, prop arrows and like whatnot. That. But yeah, it's, yeah, a little bit of ingenuity, like I think also just like the editing really brings the action, oh, yeah. the action to life. And one of the things that's really interesting about Kurosawa as a director is that he also worked as his own editor, mm. which even in the sort of realm of like the, these sort of auteur directors that we're talking about a lot, yeah. even that is still very rare for the director to also edit the film. Um, and so I read about this movie, he would shoot during the day and then at night he would actually like do editing on the film. Um, which is also rare. Usually you, you do your shoot and then, like, you you know... the You would edit after. Yeah, yeah, the movie spends a lot of time in post doing editing. But, no, he would shoot during the day and work late into the night doing editing uh, to just make sure he had it, like, exactly right. Um, Interesting. Which is very impressive.
0: That, yeah, I mean, yeah, impressive. And also just, like... So that almost... You almost got to wonder if he was constantly thinking about the movie as a whole while he was making the movie, yeah. as opposed to sort of like, all right, we'll take it scene by scene and then see where we go and post.
1: Yeah, yeah but uh, at least to me, like, I feel like that final action sequence, right, there's so much that, like, uh, I don't know, it just works so well for me. I can't put my finger on exactly why, right? But yeah. if he's editing it, you know, as he's, as, as he's filming it, yeah, like, he can get exactly what he wants. He doesn't have, you know, discover the or look through the footage, you know, a couple months later. And yeah. Like, okay, let's stitch together what we want out of it.
0: Well, and to connect it to, isn't it like a Every Frame of Painting video on yeah, movement?
1: Yeah, So, what is Every Frame of Painting for uh,
0: those who don't know? Every Frame of Painting, for those that don't know, is a YouTube channel that was run
1: by, I forget his name, you know, Tony Zhao. Yeah.
0: Who uh, did he
1: go on to be like an industry professional? I now? think that's why he stopped doing the channel because he actually got hired by like something in the industry. Yeah,
0: because he was making these uh, YouTube video essays on like different directors or films or kind of concepts in film that were focused mainly on like the editing or cinematography, sort yeah. of the craft of the film. Yeah. As opposed to, there's another one, uh, Lessons from the Screenplay, which is more focused on the writing and sort yeah. of how
1: that can direct a film. Have, uh, I've made my family watch a lot of the Every Frame of Painting videos. Because they're really
0: good and yeah. then one of the Every Frame of Painting videos talks about Akira Kurosawa's use of movement in his film. Films mm-hmm. and how that uh, movement kind of keeps even as the camera stands still the characters are moving or there's some like the the, the swipes from left to you know the screen swipes yeah. or like the camera will shift a little bit always something to give you an indication of progress and movement or to give you a, a an attachment to a certain character in movement going back to what you were talking about give each character a gesture and then the audience can latch onto that gesture
1: yeah um in that video specifically, and I would just recommend anyone who's in- interested in this Google every frame and painting, and then I think it's like Kurosawa composing movement or something yeah. like that was the title. But yeah, the, he specifically highlights the the first the funeral of the first samurai who dies after the invasion or sorry invasion just the raid on the bandits yeah. camp, um, and he talks about how like even when everyone's still, there's still like wind blowing with like dust flicking up to yeah. spice up the frame or the the flag waving in the back. Um, yeah, even in, like, high and low, I can remember there's, like, a long sequence where it's just, like, a it's like a police giving a police officer giving a debrief to, like, a classroom of full of other police officers. Um, it's, like, a very boring scene visually. right? just yeah. got a guy sitting there talking to an audience. But you have everyone, like, in the crowd, like, waving, like, sheets of paper as, like, fans. Because it's a, one that spices up the frame visually, but then it also gives you a sense of, like, how hot it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, like, little things like that that I think, like... You don't notice it until it's like not there.
0: Well, and so I also bring that up for two reasons. A, to tie it into why does that final battle scene work so well? I yeah. think it's because there's always movement. So you're never like left to linger on something. There's always a fight or a yeah. character doing and then the second thing is I recently just watched A Lion in Winter and I had been which is a film done in like the sixties, mm-hmm. Peter O'Toole, Anthony Hopkins, all about King Henry the Second and Eleanor of Aquitaine, and I was talking to you how there are parts in the film that were incredibly boring and I realized it's because it's just the camera's not doing anything. There's no movement. It's just two characters sitting across from each other talking. Talking at each other, yeah. And you just lose interest because there's nothing visually happening. Yeah. And so unless you're absolutely invested in Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole, great you know, performers, sure. but still, unless you're absolutely invested in what they're saying. So comparing that to Akira Kurosawa, yeah, you have these moments of quiet yeah. where they're just sitting there, but there's always a movement going on to give you extra information about the scene or about the characters yeah, even, or about the even in like a slower scene
1: yeah even when it is yeah. just
0: dialogue you'll always have something to keep you in
1: yeah and then i guess at least for me maybe last point on that on any that final action sequence but maybe any sort of action sequence in general i feel like it's finding that that perfect balance of like editing to spice it up but then also not like over editing it so i can't tell what's going on
0: Yeah. Right. I feel
1: like that's maybe one of my complaints with modern movies during action. Maybe it's a fight scene. Maybe it's a chase scene. Whatever. Like it's it's like edited to hell. Where like okay, like this is like exciting, I guess, but I actually can't tell what's going on. Oh yeah. Because we're cutting every half a second, or just like the the like perspectives are constantly switching, or you know anything. So I, I think this final battle sequence too, like it was edited where it's still visually interesting, but then I also still had a good sense of like what the battle as a whole what was going on
0: right and i think that that goes you know to to try and film school this a little bit sure i think there's two different types of editing you can do dynamic and static and this is totally zach bullshitting zach's
1: film school zach's
0: film school mishka film school 101 to me static editing is something like bohemian rhapsody where it's just hard cuts Different perspectives all the time. Gotta show this character, this character, this character. That's kind of an egregious example. But okay. the point being that you're constantly pulling the audience out of the film by artificially introducing these static edits. Whereas something like The Final Battle in Seven Samurai is more dynamic. You allow enough time for the audience to gain the visual information, understand what action has taken place, and then cut to the next scene where you can then get the visual information, understand the action taking place, right? Because if you're constantly editing and cutting all the time, the person watching the film doesn't have enough time to process, okay, this is where we are, this is where we're at, this is what's happening, this is who's involved. Okay, cool. Now we go to the next scene, right? Yeah. And it's a more dynamic kind of aspect to editing than just cuts. Stay tuned for your
1: uh, your full thesis on static versus well, dynamic. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah.
0: It kind of happens in superhero films even too, right? Captain America throws the shield. Cut. The shield's flying through the air. Cut. It hits somebody. Cut. You could have just had that all be one scene. You just show Captain America on one side of the screen. You show the enemy on the other side. You have him throw the shield and catch it. That's a much more dynamic visual medium than if you have cut, 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 you know? And so, yeah, one of them shorter, faster, and it seems more action-oriented if you just cut between those three. But if you just show it as one long scene, the audience gets to process the visual information of Captain America's shield is fucking cool.
1: We do. We do like to rag on Marvel. I know. I, to, I keep choosing Marvel. I I have no I thought, ill will. I feel like it's like a punching bag on our podcast. I
0: feel like, you know, back in the day, Transformers was the film that, or like the series everyone would shit on. Now it's like the MCU. Yeah. But I still... Uh... I mean, they're good. Like, I enjoy
1: watching them. I'm not saying they're, like, maybe I have my gripes with them, but I'll still watch the films. There you go. Well, I guess, yeah, and, like, those are action movies, and then comparing it, bringing it back to Seven Samurai as an action movie, um, and, like, to me, like, a a top-tier, pinnacle of action movie. Uh Um, I guess, yeah, you you do see the differences there. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, I can't wait to, I don't know, any more, I think there's any themes we missed or any major points. Not, I don't think so. Not really, no. I mean, it's just, it's a
0: great film. It's a great example, as you're saying, of Japanese, uh, I mean, Kurosawa's ability as a director. And the reason I think Seven Samurai gets held up whenever someone talks about Kurosawa is because it's just, it shows all the things he was good at, and it does all the things he was good at really well.
1: Yeah. You know, and... And, and it's just had a lasting influence. Um, on, on so many different On the film so. industry. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect lead-in to, you know, our next movie, um, oh. The Searchers
0: i'm excited i'm excited to talk about and compare samurai versus western um you know i I think that there's i'll save this analysis for the next podcast i think there's something to combine about post-war u.s and post-war japan and and searchers and and uh, seven samurai
1: but i'll wait there's a little teaser for another for everyone to come back and listen to the next one then maybe i'll forget that i even teased that so (laughs) yeah but yeah thanks for joining us seven samurai kurosawa Every frame of painting, check it out. Highly, Def- yeah. highly recommended.
0: Yeah. Um, until this,
1: so, there you go. That every, is your that's that is your homework. That's your homework. We always say do your homework, but it's all kind of vague. There actually isn't yeah, any is homework. homework assigned. But yeah, check out every frame of painting, uh, Kurosawa composing movement. Yeah.
0: Leave your uh, you know your thoughts on every frame of paintings video or, or comments in below. And well, until then, yeah. Thanks for yeah. thanks for coming. Class is over.